Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm, I'm glad y'all are here this morning. Uh, it's great to see some new faces. So uh, if you're a guest, uh, if this is your first time with us, or if it's been a bit, or if you've been uh, with us online for a long time, and maybe this is your first time with us in person, welcome. So glad you're here. You picked a great morning to be here. Uh, I'd love to say hi and, and chat for a bit at the end of the sermon, so I'm going to be at the end of the service, so I'm going to be in the back uh, under that exit sign. Come say hi, and particularly if you haven't received one of our welcome gifts, make sure you grab one on your way out. Uh, a number of years ago, I took my first trip overseas, and uh, I was with a group of people uh, local who were local, and we met up with a group of people from other nations and connected also with uh, a group of people who were local to the area. And uh, one of the evenings that we were there, we went to a nearby village. They had connections, our, our, our sort of host country folk had connections in that nearby village. And they took us there and we had a meal and we had, uh, and we, we were sort of uh, welcomed to something, uh, somewhat of a cultural showcase. And uh, there were lots of um, demonstrations that happened in the midst of that, uh, participations. There were lots of different local dialects being spoken, lots of things happening. And I understood none of it. And speak the local language or any of its dialects. I, I didn't really understand the local village traditions, though I had a sense of the general country traditions. And this was going long. And I don't know if it was because I was tired or whatnot, but the longer it went on and the more things were happening that I was unfamiliar with, uh, I started to feel overwhelmed by my sense of disorientation. I started to feel unsettled. I started to feel uneasy at, these, at all these foreign and new experience. And in a moment, it got to be too much. And I turned my head away from what was happening. And I had a look uh, that was not kind. I don't know if, it was, if you could have understood it as disgust or unhappiness or whatever. But I turned away. And one of uh, the folks who was on the trip with me from the host country caught me as I was doing that. He caught my eye. And I immediately felt a ton of shame. And I tried to explain that, that I wasn't trying to be offensive, but I really couldn't get the words out before he leaned over. And in about 20 seconds, just gave me enough information about what was happening and what was going on and what it signified that I felt ease. And I was able to re-engage and participate well with the rest of the evening. It's natural when we are experiencing new things, when we are experiencing different cultures, when we are having uh, uh, experiences in different contexts, or when different things happen in familiar contexts to feel disoriented, to feel curious, to feel uh, that you have lots of questions about what's going on. And uh, depending on the experience, uh, if you linger with those questions for very long, you might start to feel unsettled. You might start to feel uneasy. You might start to feel even a little scared. You may not be sure. We may not be sure how to respond, what to do, how to engage or not engage. And we get this feeling that maybe this isn't something we should be part of because we're concerned if we try anything, try to say anything, try to do anything, try to engage in any way, that we might end up taking a wrong turn, making a mistake, offending someone. And so it's natural. Without orientation, 
without someone to guide us, without someone to let us know what is going on or to debrief something that happened that was unfamiliar or foreign, we may end up deciding to opt out of future opportunities in that context, of future experiences of that nature. Something like this is what happened to me the first time I went to a Catholic Mass as a child. I went with my grandparents. Uh, I was a child. The Mass was in Latin. Everyone knew the words. Everyone knew when to stand. Everyone knew when to sit. Everyone knew when to kneel, except for me. And no one explained to me what was going on. It was years before I ever set foot in a Catholic church again, when I ever took part in that tradition that my family had. And I, and I think it's also one of the things that's behind why so many people are reticent to talk about, let alone participate in any experiences that are connected to the Holy Spirit. We were either present when something happened and we didn't understand it and no one explained it to us, or we heard about things. And they sounded fantastical and frightening and maybe uncomfortable and we didn't want to be part of it, or perhaps we've caught wind of some of the abuses that are committed, that are framed as the work of the Holy Spirit, but are anything but. We end up opting out. We end up missing out. This is the fourth of five weeks in our Holy Spirit Power, Presence, and Purpose series. Uh, and the previous two weeks, I let you know that today was going to be a little bit different, right? And if you weren't here, the previous two weeks, I let people know that today was going to be a little bit different. Welcome. Uh, I let us know that today we're, we were going to have a bit of a shorter message uh, because we'd be praying today for people to experience the Holy Spirit. And if this is the first you've heard of it, hold on. Don't freak out just yet. <laughs> The reason we're doing this, the reason we're going to be praying for people to experience the Holy Spirit is because the passage we're in today ends like this. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so it feels like a good response to that message is to do that, to ask the Father to grant the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. Jesus builds to that in that passage. He builds to that. He orients people on the context of what that might be like. And for the last three weeks, we've been doing a bit of that here at the church. We've been building some context, some framework for what it might mean to ask for the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do a little bit more of that today leading into that prayer time. We're going to do a little bit of teaching, a little bit of clarifying, and a little bit of explaining, and then we'll have the prayer time. And hopefully... If you've ever been a part of something and have felt disoriented, we'll be able to address some of those things and make you feel at least comfortable engaging again. And if you've never been a part of that, at least you'll feel, I hope you'll feel welcomed into that to at the very least be present and try. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Luke 11, and I invite you to go ahead and find that. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it on the screen in just a second. We're going to read the first 13 verses of Luke 11. Luke is one of the four accounts that we have of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, in this instance, Jesus is doing some teaching with his close followers. So here we go, Luke 11, starting in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. This is John the Baptist, not John uh, the apostle or follower of Jesus. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father... 
Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive anyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything, I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The passage starts out with Jesus praying. And his disciples then come to him and ask him to teach them about prayer. To teach them to pray and to teach them about prayer. And that's what he does throughout this whole passage. He not only models a prayer for them, but he teaches them about who they pray to, what he's like, and who they are as prayers, as people who pray. And he culminates that with this encouragement to ask for the Holy Spirit. Now, we could preach a number of sermons just on this passage, but because of what we're going to do today, I'm just going to focus on a couple of key words or phrases that will help frame our time of prayer. The first is Father. Father. Right from the start, Jesus establishes a particular type of relationship between those of us who pray and the one who we pray to. He is establishing that even though we are praying to a God that we cannot see, a God who is Lord over all, a God who is supreme, who is high and holy, our relationship to God is one of intimacy. It's a personal relationship. It is a close relationship. Approaching a father in the best sense of that word, in the best context of that type of relationship, sets the stage differently for the conversation that's going to happen than it would be to approach a boss, or to approach a king, or to approach a stranger, or to approach someone that has lots of power but we have no connection to. It's different than if we're just approaching the transcendent. And a lot of those things could be said of God. God is king. God is Lord. God is ruler. God is transcendent. And yet, he is also father. And framing prayer that way, framing our ask that way, sets the stage for the way those conversations happen. The father is the one you would ask for provision and expect to receive it. He's the one you would ask for, protection, and trust that in his love he would grant it. He's the one you would ask for counsel. He's the one you would ask forgiveness from should you have done something wrong. Jesus frames all this and frames our time in prayer for the Holy Spirit as being one in which we address the Father. 
there's intimacy. There's personal relationship. There is care. Then Jesus goes on to tell a parable. A parable is a story with a lesson embedded in it. And the story is about a man who goes to a friend at an inopportune time to make a big ask. It's a big ask so that he can meet a need that has come to him. And the friend is none too pleased about this inconvenience. The friend is in bed. His kids are in bed. Most of those houses shared rooms. So there was one shared room where everyone slept. So it was incredibly inconvenient and disruptive. And Jesus tells the disciples that that the reason the, the friend is going to give the man what he asked for has nothing to do with the relationship. It has nothing to do with the friendship. It's not because that friendship is strong. He is going to supply what the man is asked for because of the man's shameless audacity. The man's shameless audacity. Shameless audacity is what makes the difference for the man to get what he needs from his friend. The shameless audacity is experienced in that the man believes, he believes, he asks believing that his friend can supply what he needs. The man asks, believing that his friend can supply what he needs. He's convinced that there is nothing wrong with asking, even though it's at an inconvenient time, even though it's disruptive. And he's confident, he's confident that his friend would do it. I'm going to say that again. This shameless audacity looks like the man asking, believing that his friend can supply convinced that there's nothing wrong with asking even though the time seems inconvenient and confident that his friend would do it. Shameless audacity. How would our prayer lives be different? How would our lives be different if we approached the Father with shameless audacity? If we approached the Father in prayer with shameless audacity, believing that God can supply what we need, convinced that there is nothing wrong with asking. Someone in my small group this, this week said, it's kind of like entitlement, but in a good way. Right? I don't know that there's a good way, but anyway, convinced that there's nothing wrong with asking him. None of that, well, I really don't want to bother God with this. He's probably super busy taking care of other parts of the world. None of that. None of that plays into shameless audacity. And confident that God will supply what we need at the right time. How would our lives be different if we played, prayed with shameless audacity? And then Jesus starts to wrap up and wrap together the shameless audacity and the praying to the Father in the later chunk. And he starts with a principle. The ask and receive, seek and, not, seek and find, and knock and the door will be opened. Uh, there, are, there are a number of people who read that and think that Jesus is just repeating the same point over and over again. He's reinforcing it in three different ways. And I think you can make a case for that. Uh, we have a group of people from our community who write reflections for us uh, during the week. They're called the Connect Devotionals. And this week, uh, a number of them took a pass at Ask, Seek, and Knock. And it was really refreshing to see them approach it from different perspectives and dig in different ways. So if you didn't get a chance to read the Connect Devotional this week, I encourage you, they're on our website. Go check them out. There's some really refreshing takes, some of which I hadn't thought about, but you can look them up. I wonder if there's something not repetitive about these three things along with our folks in their Connect devotional. 
Sorry. <clears throat> and I wonder if it's connected to how God supplies what we need. One is for when we are aware that we have needs. We ask. If we're aware, we can ask, and God will provide. If we are unaware, we can seek God and trust that even when we are unaware that we need something in our seeking of God, God will provide what we need. And the latter, there are times when we encounter obstacles or barriers or things that make us feel like we've stopped at a door. When it seems like there's an obstacle or a closed door, what this tells us is that we can knock. We can persist. We can stay engaged and eventually the door will be opened. Eventually someone will open the door. The answer will come. Because here's the thing. The good father, they were invited to ask with shameless audacity, is the one who gives. He is the one who says that he can be found. He makes himself findable. And he is the one who opens doors over and over again. Jesus closing, closes this teaching block by looping back in the concept of father. Did you catch that when we were reading that? He starts the Lord's, what we know as the Lord's Prayer, with Father. And then in this last teaching block, he says, which of you fathers? He's tying in the concepts, and he draws a contrast between earthly fathers and the heavenly Father. And he sort of tongue-in-cheek says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, he's not necessarily saying that people are evil. What he's saying is compared to people, God is extremely good. God is beyond what we understand as good. And when we compare, when, when, when compare humanity to God, if, if where we're at, we know how to give good things, then how much more? How much more will what the Father gives, our Father in heaven gives, when we ask with shameless audacity, how much more will that be good? And it is in that context, it is as he builds to that, that he comes to this phrase. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who asks, ask him? The ways God the Father answers prayer are good. They're good. And I say that acknowledging that sometimes we ask for things and the answer is no. We talked about this the first week. Sometimes it's no because the Father's prerogative is to not give us what we want, but to give us what we need. And sometimes we miss God's response because we're seeking our answer. But God always responds. And his response is good. I say this acknowledging that sometimes we have to wait and waiting feels uncomfortable. But I believe in the waiting, it, God is being good. That answer is good because God is good. And so when he tells us to ask the Father in heaven for the Holy Spirit, regardless of your experience, of what your experience has been like, regardless of whether you felt disoriented, whether you've seen or heard about some of the abuses, at this core, asking for the Holy Spirit is good. Asking God for things is good because the Father is good. It's good because the Father is good. 
And when it's been abusive or when it's led to, 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 to improper use, it's not been God. I can promise you that. Because the Father we pray to, the Father that we ask for the Holy Spirit is good. Here's an image that comes to mind when I think about our asking the Father. It is good because the Father is open-handed. He is generous. He is at the ready to give. He can sustain us and hold us. He can lift us up. He can care for us and love us. That is the Father whom we're told to pray to. That is the Father who is good. The Father who sends the Spirit is good. So the sending of the Spirit is good because the Spirit is good. We're asking a God who lifts us up and sustains us, who formed us and saved us, who forgives us and restores us. The Father is good. The Son is good. The Holy Spirit is good. So in asking for the Holy Spirit, what he's encouraging them to do, what he's encouraging us to do, is to ask the good Father for the good Holy Spirit. And because when we ask, we receive Receive the good that the Holy Spirit has for us. And that's what we're doing today. We're going to ask the good Father for the good Holy Spirit to do the good work that needs to be done in us today. Now, what might that look like? What could that look like? I'm going to do a little bit of explaining and orienting. First, by saying that the goal of the Holy Spirit is not to create a spectacle. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to us. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus, to glorify God. When the Holy Spirit comes, that is the goal. But let me name a few of the ways that the Holy Spirit uh, might move in and among us today uh, and set some expectations for us. Um, Let me start with some of the ones that have sort of outward uh, or observable Signs, and some might call these ecstatic expressions. I'm not going to explain all of them because there are a lot, but I'm explaining the two that I'm most familiar with and maybe the ones that those of us have encountered or heard of. Uh, One is what has been classically called the manifestation of the gift of tongues. And we're going to talk about the gift of tongues next week because we're doing Acts 2. But here's what happens uh, when the gift of tongues comes, when the Holy Spirit gives the gift of tongues. People gain the ability to speak another language for a limited amount of time. There are two ways that this tends to manifest classically. One is that they speak a language that is known and that someone, because someone needs to hear a message. Either it is known or it is interpreted. And if someone needs to hear a message, that is not for everyone. It is usually for someone or for a group of people. And there is usually an accompanying gift of interpretation, meaning someone can interpret the message. Again, the goal is to glorify the God who is speaking to someone. There's never to shame It is never to condemn. It is never to accuse. And the second way that this can come, the gift can come sometimes, is that one can start to speak a language that is unknown. That is unknown, and it is not to give a message to anyone, but it is a, a, a language to worship God with. That's been my experience. I've never had the gift of tongues in a way that I have a message for someone, but there are times when I feel so in the presence of God in the midst of worship that the languages that I have access to, which are English and Spanish, all of a sudden are no longer enough to express the worship in my heart. 
doesn't happen always when that's the case, but every once in a while when that's the case, I start to speak a different language. I'm not babbling. I'm not making that up, because if I were making it up, I would do it all the time that I feel that way. But there's a way in which my heart just overwhelms, overflows in worship. That's not for everyone else to hear. That's just for me to worship God, and it glorifies him, and it glorifies the Spirit. None of these need to be loud. None of these are meant to draw attention to the person. None of these are meant to shame anyone. But that could be one way that the Spirit might come. Might not be. Another one of those ecstatic manifestations is, what, uh, is when people faint. And some people have called that being slain in the Spirit or falling out in the Spirit, which are extremely unhelpful terms. They feel scary. I dislike those terms. Here's what those who experience it, here's how they would describe it. They would describe it as such a strong sense of the presence of God that you just want to rest in it. That you just want to rest in it. Have you ever seen a child who is draped over their parent's shoulder, whether sleeping or not, but you can tell they are not putting a single bit of effort into any of their muscles? They are just blissfully present to their parent, held by their parent, sustained by their parent. Sometimes the presence of the Holy Spirit feels in such a way that that's what you want to do. You just want to rest in that presence. You don't want to hold up any muscle. You don't want to put up any strength. You just rest in it. This isn't a, a way that is dominating. It isn't a way that overtakes because that's not the Spirit's way. It is an invitation to just give in to that, to rest, to receive the presence of God in that way. Now, let me be clear. I am not looking for either of those to be present today. We talked about expectation without agenda, and neither of them may happen now or ever in our lives, and that's okay. You could go your whole life without, um, because there's no other term, let me just call it fainting in the spirit, or speaking in tongues. You go your whole life without that, and you would not be any lesser of a Christian. You would not have any lesser of an experience of the presence of God. You wouldn't be any less of a child of God. So here are some other ways that the Spirit might come. I know, and it's important to say that because those sort of public ones or visual ones tend to be the ones people focus on, but here are some other ways. And most of them are ways we've talked about for the past two or three weeks. You may experience the Holy Spirit with a sense of assurance, a sense of feeling that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. You may feel a sense that the Spirit is advocating for you. You get a sense that someone is fighting for you whatever that feels like for you. The Spirit might have some counsel for you. You may sense a word or a direction or a feeling. You may feel a deep sense of comfort, and that might be what you need. There may be a sense where the Spirit intercedes for you or where you feel companionship. You feel the friendship of the Spirit. Some of us need strength, either to just get through a hard situation or just to press through uh, something good that's coming that we know to give in a little bit of extra effort for. The Spirit might open our minds to know God. He might teach us something. He might bring a sense of peace. He might be working to transform us and we get a sense of something that we need to give up or something that we need to embrace. Some sort of gifting might be granted to us. And there aren't just those ecstatic gifts. There's gifts of administration. There's gifts of leadership. There's gifts of teaching. We may get a sense of conviction that that's what God is giving us and the Spirit is giving us. Make a sense of his presence, simply being in his presence. 
a sense of having access to his power, or a sense of knowing what his purpose is for us. These are some of the ways, there may be more, these are some of the ways that the Spirit might be at work in and among us today as we pray for the Holy Spirit to come. No spectacle, nothing uh, necessarily that might be scary. Many of these things might feel welcoming to us today. Here's the image that I want us to have as I explain what our prayer time is going to look like. There's a little bit of scariness to that, right? (laughs) But that child is blissful right now because she knows that even though she's experiencing something that might feel exhilarating, might feel new, might feel fresh, might feel exciting, she knows she's in no danger because her daddy's going to catch her. Her daddy's got her. Some of what happens today might feel new to you, might feel fresh to you, might feel exciting to you. You may be tempted to feel scared, but here's what I want you to know. The good father that we're asking to give the good spirit has got you. Has got you. You can trust him. Whatever he's going to do is going to be good. Here's what our next time is going to look like. I'm going to start it off with a little bit of silence. I'm just going to invite you to consider how you might be open to the spirit. Yeah, you can join me uh, on stage. Uh, just a little bit of silence and invite you to consider how you might be present to the Spirit. And I'm going to mark that time when it closes. And I'm telling you everything I'm going to do so that nothing is surprising to you. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to invite those of you who want to experience the Spirit to stand. And I'm going to pray a general prayer for the Spirit to come however the Spirit wants. And then I'm going to invite those of you who want to experience the Spirit in a very particular way, whether it's from the list I showed, and I'll put it up uh, at that time, or something else, to move into the aisles. We've got folks that we've invited to pray for you, and they're just going to pray what will likely be a very brief prayer that whatever it is that you feel you need, you would experience from the Spirit. And we'll see what the Spirit does. You have three opportunities to opt in. You don't have to opt in to any of them, but I do hope you opt into as many you feel you want to try out and many you feel that God might be inviting you to. So let me pray to open our time and then we'll have a time of silence for you to consider yourself before the Spirit and what you might want to ask. Come, Holy Spirit, and guide this time. You are the good Father. You've invited us to ask for the good Spirit. You are Lord over this time. Would you meet my sisters and brothers now in the silence? later on in the prayers that we pray. Amen.